Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you can make your dreams a reality as well. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. My guest today is the phenomenally talented and emotionally moving writer, Tracy McMillan. Tracy is currently on staff at the United States of Tara, one of my favorite cable shows. Um, Tracy has also worked on Life on Mars and Journeyman. Thank you for joining me, Tracy. Thank you for having me. You are definitely one of my all-time favorite writers in this business, and a large part of why you resonate with me so much as an executive and as a friend is your fearlessness in facing your story. Thank you. So I would love to start with, please share your story with us. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, your support has meant a lot to me. And it's like you go through, you move through this business. And at first, you're really not sure what kind of reception you're going to get. And I really had to kind of make a decision about how much of my story I was going to tell. Because, you know, when you start out in this business, you take a lot of meetings, you sit on a lot of sofas, you know, people ask you, so tell me about you. And you can sort of give like the sanitized version, or you can give the version of like, this is my real story. And at a certain point, I decided, you know what, I'll just tell my real story. Like, why not? I love your story. Thank I you. Do. So um, what's my story? Well, I think the first part of my story is that um, I was a foster child. And uh, I recently learned that I went into the foster care system earlier than I thought. Right. I thought I went in at three years of age. Uh, I was recently looking through a bunch of papers and discovered that I actually went into foster care at four months of age. And I was in there for about 18 months, and then I went back to my original mother. And then after another year and a half, I went uh, back into foster care. So I had that story of, like, when once you enter the, the foster care system, it's like, your life is anything could happen, you know? It's almost like throwing a bucket of marbles on a concrete floor. It's like they go everywhere. You may never get them all back into the bucket. Um, so, and usually when something like that happens, it's because there's a problem in the home, you know? In my case, it was that my father was uh, a drug dealer, a pimp, um, a hustler. He was a grifter. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. And uh, he got his first big conviction, and that's when I went away for the longest stretch, which was four and a half years. Um, now, my, I went away, you mean? Yeah, into, fo into the foster care system. Okay. And I was in a number of different homes. Okay. Um, it's hard to say exactly how many. I think it was around a dozen. That's what I was told. And I was told it by one of my foster mothers who is a person who I, you know, she's very accurate. I could trust her, what she said. But it seems unbelievable even to myself. Like, you think, well, I was so little. How can I? I can't remember it, you know. Do you, so you feel like you blocked out the I, pain? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to know. I think part of the reason I came so late to this business is because I had so much to work out right. before I could really get up to the table. 
I remember being in my first writer's room, and it was on one of the first couple of days, and everybody ran up, went around the table and said, you know, kind of where they were from and what their dad did for a living. Somehow it turned into, here's where I'm from, and here's what my dad does for a living. And out of the nine writers, six of them had dads who were doctors. Wow. And we got to me, and I'm like, my dad's serving 23 years in federal prison. <laughs> See, but that's your truth. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no shame in your story mm -hmm. because I think part of the writing process is being able to detach from your story mm -hmm. and draw from your well. Exactly. And I think drawing from your well without fear of what others will think mm -hmm. is a huge thing. When your agent called me and your agent pitched you to me, your story fascinated me. I mean, I could not wait to meet with you because he was like, this girl's going to end up on Oprah's couch. I mean, he <laughs> was so rich with his description of you and what you bring to the table as a writer. And your uh, truth is a very large part of that. Yeah. So go on. Well, um, so what happened to me was... Um, so I went into foster care. I ended up in the home of a Lutheran minister and his wife, and I lived there for four and a half years while my father served a prison term. And my mother uh, was a terrible alcoholic from a very young age. And in the end, she had five children, and she didn't raise any of them all the way. You know, there were breaks in her raising of each of her kids. But I was given up with a nine-month-old sister who was actually um, put into, or she was actually put up for adoption and got adopted by, like, I think a, a policeman and his wife. And I later on met her when I was in my late 20s. At 27, I found her and my mother. And, like, there was a whole, I sort of started to do some personal journeying in my late 20s and sort of met a lot of these people um, as an adult, it wasn't that I ever really established full relationships with them, but I did kind of go back and find out who they were. And I actually started to make a personal documentary. Um, and so I interviewed my dad in prison and my mother and my grandmother and this sister that I'd never met. And then these other siblings whom I had, maybe I talked on the phone to a couple of them and I've met a couple of them one or two times, but... Um, so that was kind of an interesting part of the process. And I never did finish that project, but I actually do have all the tapes still. I shot like 40 hours of videotape. And how do you feel knowing all those different perspectives on your story and your childhood inform you as a writer? Well, I think the first thing that it tells me is that I don't judge characters. You know, I think that it's really, oftentimes you'll hear well, it's easy when you don't have a certain life experience to think that somebody's just a bad person, if that's what's going on in their life. And what I know firsthand is that, like, my dad has been in prison for, you know, more than 30 years on and off, basically my whole adult, you know, my whole life and uh, much of his adult life. And he's a good person weirdly, you know. Now, he's got these weird blank spots, you right. know what I mean? Like there are giant flaws in his character, but that doesn't mean that he's not like if you met him, you would love him. There's goodness at the core. Exactly. Everyone has that. I mean, I think it's about seeing the humanity 
it's not interesting to write about a character who has no humanity. I remember hearing that in one of my early writers' rooms in, when I worked on a police procedural, where it's like, if the person's like a serial killer and they're a, a psychopath, that's not an interesting character. What's interesting is when somebody has a reason in their own mind for what they're doing. A you motivation. Know? Yeah, motivation, yeah. yeah. And now, if you were, I know that there's a lot that you block out and that you can't remember. If you were to think of one life-identifying moment mm -hmm. when your world was turned upside down, mm -hmm. your carpet was pulled out from under you, and writing was your escape, it was your haven, what would one or a few of those experiences be? Well, that's interesting. I'm trying to think of what, well, I think my first escape started as reading. And I was able to fully escape into the stories in a book. And like going to the library was a safe place for me. Like um, I ended up being raised by a woman who um, was a girlfriend of my dad's and our life was not very stable. And even when I couldn't find a lot of stability at home, I could always go to a library and escape into a book. And I think that's where I just I got the love of story. Then at the same time, I spent many, 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 many hours watching television. And I loved cop dramas. And the TV was my babysitter and my friend. And um, it kind of tells me that good things can come. Like, I think in today's parenting, you'd be like, oh, no, my kid cannot sit and watch 40 hours of television a week. But it's something good can come out of even something that's quote unquote bad, right. you know, like, oh, okay, I watched a lot of television, but now I make television. So it actually kind of worked out for me, you know. How interesting that you liked cop shows. Though. I did. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know what? Because there was drama and I related to the characters on the screen. Yeah. Like I would see like, oh, yeah, this is a part like that was it wasn't necessarily that there was all kinds of bad things going on in my life, but what there was was a certain energy in my life that I saw reflected in dramas. I remember seeing Midnight Express early on, like I've, I was probably like, I don't know, 10th grade or something like that. And it was about a guy who got, you know, uh, caught for dealing drugs. And this was, of course, my dad's story. Even though he wasn't in Turkey and he wasn't trying to smuggle drugs out of a foreign country, but the energy of being caught and then spending the you know the next ten years of your life paying for something you did, that was something I was you know living in my own life. Not that I I was living the results of somebody else's choice, but it was neat to see that dramatized. Like I felt like okay, I relate to that story, you know. Um, so I was always drawn to drama, and. Um, I also had a strong desire to, like, know about people. I remember playing with um, – I had a tape recorder and pretending that I was doing interviews with people. And I would choose people that I saw on TV, and I'd be like, I'm going to interview so-and-so. And then I would play both sides of the interview. And then last but not least, I remember being about – I must have been about nine. And I, I, I was living with uh, – I just left my main foster home and I'd gone to live with my dad and his girlfriend. And I remember saying to his girlfriend, I have an idea for a TV show. Who do I write to to tell them about my TV show? And I wanted to write to ABC. At age nine. <laughs> yeah. I love and it. And I knew that ABC would never get it. Like if I wrote the letter with my idea, it was for a game show actually. If I wrote them with my idea, that they wouldn't get it. But it's kind of interesting to see that 
I had no idea what my future was, but there I can look back and go, I've had this idea for a long time that this but is what I was going to do. That I knew. was your destiny. I this did know. This is your destiny. Mm-hmm. As far as your voice, mm-hmm. um, very few writers uh, in the early stages of their careers are as mature in their voice as you are, when would you say that you started noticing your voice coming out? What script, what writing? I know you write periodicals as well. You are also a journalist. Yes. So where would you say that you, like I can tell you from an executive viewpoint that in the pilot I read, Mm -hmm. that I was was astonished Hmm. with the voice that came out in the pilot. Interesting. And it's funny because it's early, you know, early on, it's not like I'd read a a lot of other people's stuff. So I didn't really know what it was that people were responding to. I'd kind of be like, well, what else is in that pile? If this if you think this is great, like I'm wondering what else what are other people writing? Um, Well, the joke answer is I'm a lot older coming into this business than other people. I had. um, But I like your truth with that as well. Yeah, I think that it helped me. You know, I've worked out a lot of stuff just on just for myself within. I've been to a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of soul searching and a lot of I have a lot of self-awareness. I can say I've had a lot of self-awareness my whole life. I remember being like 19 or 20 and people going, wow, you sure seem to know a lot. You're an old soul. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd be like, really? You know, Um, but as far as a writer is concerned, I'd have to say that weirdly, I had the dream of doing this even when I graduated from college, but there was a part of me that held back. I didn't have the self-esteem. I didn't have the financial uh, net. I had to come out of school and make money. Like, it was a miracle that I even graduated from college coming from my background. So when I was going to school, I my focus was do something very vocational because you need to come out of this school experience and get a job because there's no... It's not like I could really make... No one's make... coming to save you. Exactly. Yes. Like one false move and there's no net. So if I fall, that's it. There's nobody to call. Literally, I have no mom, no dad. There's no one to call. I have no sisters, no brothers. Like, I'm out here on my own. So I could not afford to make any mistakes or choose any um, uh, far highfalutin uh, career ideas because there was... I had to start making to money. Conservative. Exactly. Yeah. And I had to start making money right away. So I chose broadcast journalism. I got a broadcast journalism degree. I moved to Portland and I started writing TV news and producing TV news. And I did very well in that career. And even in my first job, um, my favorite part of the job was the writing, you know. Uh, I loved, I mean, news was such a great background as a writer because there's two things that one, you're telling stories all the time. You're writing all the time, whether you feel like it or not. So there's nothing precious about writing news. You're sitting down and you're saying, you're not saying to yourself, oh, where's my inspiration? <laughs> you're like, this story needs to be on the air in seven minutes and it needs to be written so that it can be you know, printed up and given to the anchors in five minutes. You know, So it's kind of like uh, there's a saying in TV news, don't get it right, get it written. And now I have a discipline that if I, I can just sit down and start writing and something will happen, which I'm sure is true even if you're waiting for inspiration before you sit down and open up the computer. My thing is that if you open up the computer and put your fingers on the keyboard, something will happen. It might suck, 
it really doesn't matter. You can always rewrite. With that, I would like Mm -hmm. to discuss your staffing experience. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been on, you are on United States, is it Tara or Tara? Tara. Tara, you are on United States of Tara. You were on Life on Mars Mm -hmm. and Journeyman. Mm -hmm. Take me into the writer room for each show Mm -hmm. and describe the process to me. Okay. Well, Journeyman, uh, NBC show, it was had elements of fantasy time travel. Um, There was also a procedural element where our protagonist was going back and forth in time. The room was... I've been in, every room I've been in has been the greatest room the people in it have ever been in. You are very lucky. They were so funny. That was a very, I mean, the room I'm in now is. Hysterical. Yeah, hysterical, crying. Well, Life on Mars, too, now that I think about it. Life on Mars was not an easy show either by any stretch of the imagination. You're right. It wasn't. But at least coming up, and I think I got the job in part because I'd been on a time travel show. Mm -hmm. Um, But having our protagonist on Life on Mars, the important difference was he just went to 1973 and he stayed there. Where um, Dan on Journeyman went back and forth, and that was the main difference. So he was messing around with the timeline where Sam on Life on Mars got hit by a car, woke up in 1973, and then pretty much he was just solving crimes week to week with a sprinkling of trying to figure out the mythology of why he was there. Um, That show was great. Um, The showrunners, Josh Applebaum, Andre Nemec, and Scott Rosenberg, are all extremely talented writers. It was a wonderful way to learn how to tell stories. And then the 1973 aspect was a lot of fun. Now, mentor-wise on these three mm-hmm. staffs, who was there anyone you got particularly real close to who you really will forever remember what they taught you? Well, you know, it's interesting because they all you have different relationships with each person. Kevin Falls is like such a gracious person, such a great, funny writer. Um, I love him, you know. I love him. That's wonderful. Um, Josh, Andre, and Scott, I learned so much from them. They are such generous showrunners. Like, um, even as a staff writer, I wrote my own episode and then shared, you know, uh, went, co-wrote two other episodes. Like, they give every single episode except for the premiere and the finale, and they're not to the writers. Credit, right? Yeah, and that's, that's really generous, and that's they don't have to do it like and that. I think it's great. It is, and so I got a lot of experience. And then I, the show shot in New York. We wrote, the room was in L.A., and I got to go to New York and um, produce my episode. I got to be in the in the uh, editing process, the post-production process, and got to be on every call. So you got to produce I really episode, did. essentially. Yeah, even oh, as a staff incredible. writer. So it gave me, and then I was working with these unbelievable actors, Harvey Keitel, uh, Jason O'Mara, Michael Imperioli, Gretchen Maul, Jonathan Murphy. They were so good. Cast and, of Life on Mars. Yeah, that was the cast of Life on Mars. Wonderful actors and uh, just kind of learning to be familiar and work with actors of that caliber. I know that also helped me to be on United States of Terra because there's also some really big actors there. But when when I was talking with DreamWorks in the, you know, they were like, oh, good. Well, we can hire her. And, you know, people are people. Yeah. And but and but that I'm not going to be intimidated by like an Oscar nominated actress. Not intimidated is the wrong word. It's it's almost like. um you're not going to cower. You're not yeah, going it's, to. It's about being 
comfortable with that because, I mean, those are some big talents. That's like big talents, you know? And there's like a respect that you have, you know, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like Michael Imperioli. You're like, you're Michael Imperioli. <laughs> I love you're it. Harvey Keitel, you know. That's amazing. And branding wise, you had uh, we've, we've both discussed branding. I mm -hmm. think you and I are both fascinated mm -hmm. with the idea of how your personal brand can reflect your values and your ethics on a personal and spiritual level as well as on a professional level. Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, you know, the no one told me this, but when you first come into this business, basically what you do is, is you go on a lot of first dates. You know, you take meetings and they feel very much like a first date, like speed dating. <laughs> and you sit on the couch and then the person goes, so how are you? And then you try to find some common ground. Um, now, how that what that means about branding is that what you basically do is go in and tell a story because we're all storytellers. And, you know, a lot of these executives that you're meeting, they see two people a day on their couch. You know, they got somebody at 11 and they got somebody at three. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I figured that out after I only had meetings that were scheduled at 11 and Sometime three. Sometimes as many as five. <laughs> and so you you want to be the person who tells them an interesting story, you know. I'm sure they have a lot of boring people sitting on the couch. So what's the brand? The brand is the story. And I think that's what we do in our business is we construct narrative. So the first narrative you tell is about yourself. And you can see a lot of writers who are very successful have a strong narrative of their personal story that gives people something like, oh, yeah, I remember that person. You know, they're the person with the blankety-blank story. And your story is definitely a strength in connection with who you are as a writer mm -hmm. as well as who you are in person. So I, I definitely commend you for that. And um, with that, we will take a break. I am speaking with Tracy McMillan. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Tracy McMillan of United States of Terra. My next question for you is, as a diverse Writer, as well as, as you said, coming to the profession when you were older, mm -hmm. tell me about that. And, and how would you use that to inspire mm -hmm. others who are also in a similar place? Right. Um, I think it's actually worked amazingly well for me. Um, I wrote a couple of spec scripts 10 years ago, 1999. I wrote a Dharma and Greg. Great. <laughs> and I wrote a uh, Drew Carey. And recently I actually came across them and read them. I'm like, hey, this was pretty good. And I gave them to my one friend in the business. And she read them and said, you know what? Every one of my friends says, I could do this, but you actually could. And I had, I had a maybe 18-month-old child at the time. And the fact of the matter for me was I just wasn't ready to capitalize on it in a meaningful way. And there would be times where I would think, I hope I didn't blow it. 
But when I would come, you know, when I would come up to that thought, rather than sort of like jump off the building, you know, the metaphorical building, I would say to myself, you know what? If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And um, like deep down, I knew that I had a gift to share. Like I was here to write some stuff. And I knew that it was going to go beyond TV news. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. And even as the sand was slipping through the hourglass, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, I just held this space. I don't know how to say it. It was almost unconscious or subconscious. But I just held a space where, you know what? I haven't given up yet because I'm not dead yet. And you touched on two other subjects I do want to go into. You touched on, which I think is another reason to inspire writers out there, the fact that you're a mother mm-hmm. and the fact that you were not only juggling life, having gone mm-hmm. through divorce mm-hmm. and juggling a child on your own and juggling the challenges that come with being a diversity writer, mm-hmm. that come with being older, coming into the game, and you conquered all of them. It's so. kind of crazy, and I don't really take any personal credit for it. I really feel like I did my end of the work, which um, my story is I I had worked on a low-budget feature in New York in the mid-'90s, and um, after those 18-hour days, and it was so horrible, <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm going to be a writer. You know, <laughs> I want to be in a garret writing. I do not want to be out there like <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning shooting. You know, now, granted, I'm out there at three o'clock in the morning now in my job, but that's not the bulk of my job. Right. Um, and somebody had given me an opportunity to co-write a low budget feature right after that. And it was three characters. It was set in the East Village. And each character was taken by a girl who lived in the East Village, as I was at the time. And that film ended up going to Sundance and going to Cannes. And um, it was the first thing I ever did that was produced. And it, I knew, you know, somehow I couldn't put the whole thing together. I could just do that one character. I, my biggest challenge was structure, learning the structure. I'd say the second biggest challenge was figuring out what I wanted to say. And I do believe, like, for myself, the reason it took me so long to really come to a full career is because I didn't really have anything to say until I got, until recently, <laughs> you know? Do you know, the interesting thing about that is I've, I've often asked writers, I definitely come from a very new awareness into why story works the way that it does. And my philosophy behind that is... If you clearly establish the goal dilemma of your central character by the end of Act One, Mm -hmm. your story will have a much greater chance Mm -hmm. of working. Now, with that, going on what we just talked about, Mm -hmm. most people, when you'll look at them and you'll say, what does your central character want? Mm -hmm. They won't know, Mm. and that's a reflection of Mm -hmm. they don't know what they want in their own lives. Mm. So I think the fact that on a spiritual level, Mm -hmm. you have come so far Mm -hmm. as far as therapy, as far Mm -hmm. as looking at your life and 
and drawing from your life and looking mm-hmm. at the beauty and looking at your father and reestablishing connection with your mom and mm-hmm. your sister and really I think giving this beauty to your son as well mm-hmm. that's like there's no shame or embarrassment right. this is who we are this is our story and this is going to propel us further in life which it has mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree with you on that my path was after I had my baby, I started, I'd kind of always wanted to sing. <laughs> that was the other thing I always wanted to do. So I wanted to sing and I got into a band when my kid was just a baby. And sometimes, and while I was in this band, I was like, what am I doing in this band? You know, part of me is like, I really don't like getting on stage. I'm really a behind the scenes person. Um, but I really wanted to do it. And for seven years, I was in bands. And now I look back and I, I see that that experience gave me my voice. Like when you have to go out there and basically own a song while people are watching you, it's like stripping on stage. Like it's, there's nothing scarier than going out there. And for those seven years I was in a band, I didn't write one word. And I wondered, I wonder if I will ever write another word. I mean, I wrote my TV news because that was my living, you know, but I didn't write anything like I didn't write a screenplay. I didn't write anything like a short story, nothing like that. For how long? Seven years. And again, I trusted that when I that if it was meant to be, it would happen. And it was like this. Literally, I woke up in 2005. It was in January. And I said, I want to write a screenplay. And the idea was. I have these songs, and they're very cinematic. People are like, oh, your songs would be good for a movie. So I thought, oh, I'll put my songs. I'll write, I can write. I'll write a movie. Put my songs in there. Kind of like actors write a movie for themselves. I showed the movie to a friend of mine who was a former development executive, and he was like, well, you're a good writer, but you made some beginner mistakes. And I didn't really like hearing that, because what beginner really likes hearing that? And I said to him, kind of... Um, snarkily, I said, uh, oh, well, do you think I should just start over? And he said to me, I would. (laughs) (laughs) I love those humbling moments. Oh, man. (laughs) And you know what? Rather than give up, I I went home and I wrote another draft in 10 days, and it was better. I didn't even show it to him. And then I let a little time pass, and I had this other idea for the space bar, which you read. And I had this idea, and I'm like, I'm going to write this movie. And I wrote that movie in, like, three weeks. And that turned out to be the script that got me my agent that basically started the entire ball rolling. Now, that's a great question with regards to your agent. So Mm -hmm. the space bar got you, your agent. Yeah. So that was the third screen. The space bar was your which? That that was, was your third script? Yeah, of that year. You know, now I had written a bunch of things back in the, you know, before I had my kid. But in 2005, I wrote three scripts and the space bar was the third one. And what inspired the space bar? Well, you know, I I had this relationship that was falling to pieces and um, I wanted to explore the ways in which my relationship was falling to pieces specifically, but I didn't want to. 
because I think the mistake that I'd made in the past was I would write a character who was just like me, like she would be biracial and she would be, you know, she would be 30 something and have a 30 something boyfriend or whatever it was. And what I did is I found a way to hide my story more. Like um, I had, I created a bunch of characters who were going through and dealing with the things I was dealing with, but in in a different story. They were parts of your personality. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like. Um, yeah, that's what made it work. That's what made it work because yeah. it gave me the the distance from it to yeah. actually write characters rather than write it like a long script formatted journal entry. That's great. You know, and it also gave me the story structure because when you're writing your your the details of your life. There, it's rambling. You know, you're like, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened. Because autobiographies are not interesting. Yeah. We have to fictionalize our life to make it story. Exactly, because story, and that's where I learned, story is very different from a bunch of stuff that happened. You know, there's things, there's something happens, and then there's a scene. Those are two different things. And who was your first agent? Uh, Alan Routboard, a wonderful agent. And the way it happened was I still had this one friend that I'd showed my 1999 uh, scripts that I wrote, specs that I wrote. And I had never asked her to read anything in the meantime. And it was, what, six years later, seven years later? And um, I knew it was good, though. And so I sent it to her. And she knew I could write. And she said, you know what? I'm super busy. I don't. I didn't even read it, but I know you can write, and so I just sent it to my agent. And if he calls you, he does, and if he doesn't, he doesn't. And uh, I was not that good at the follow-up process because I still had a lot of, for lack of a better word, self-esteem issues. Like it was very hard for me to not look at the four hundred pound phone and go, "They don't want to hear from me. They don't want me to call them again and go, hi." It's Tracy McMillan. <laughs> Do you remember me? <laughs> like, I know you didn't read my stuff. <laughs> um, but when they read your stuff, they couldn't put it down. Yeah. So that I can speak for. Exactly. Like, months later, like eight months later, he called me and said, I just read your thing. It's really good. And I'd like to come in and, you know, have you talk to me. If you were to go back to the beginning of your career... Um, speaking to writers who are starting mm -hmm. their careers, what advice would you offer them? Well, I think developing the voice in terms of what it is that you want to say. You know, like when I take meetings, I don't feel like I'm there to get a job. I feel like I'm there to share sort of a worldview as a writer and that way they they kind of know what to think of what jobs to think of you for it's like if you share your world view people can it's like you're the train I, I feel like this is a town filled with people who want to jump on a train and at a certain point i decided oh i get it be the train okay <laughs> and then everybody'll jump on your train because it's like the writer is the train. Nobody's the train more than the writer. Right. Figuring out what kind of train are you, where are you going, you know? And it's your confidence, though. I mean, as you've said over and over in this interview, I knew it was good. So yeah. it, I think that it's interesting to see where your self-esteem was right. and then see your growth on the page. Hearing 
constructive criticism that rather than setting you back and right. making you go to being a victim, right. it made you rise above it and it made you go after it even more. That was a key moment. I feel like that's the moment I became a professional. Sometimes I'll talk to people who are at the coffee shop stage still and they'll be like, um, you know, you'll kind of say to them, because there are parameters to working in this business. Nobody just gives you $3.7 million to do your episode of TV because they just want you to just, oh, do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, like there are certain things, uh, ways that we tell stories. And when you kind of share that, like that person shared it with me, like, well, this is how it's done. When people are like, well, I don't want to do it like that. In a way, it's like, well, then you're not ready to be a pro, a professional, because a professional is... You know, being flexible. Yeah, and understanding that this is a this is a business. It's not about you. It really is about how you serve the whole project. Exactly, and yeah. that doesn't mean that you're selling yourself out. Mm -hmm. And I think that I that was an important um, way, differentiation between you know uh, being commercial, and I mean commercial by commercial I mean getting paid. <laughs> And um, always and, good. Yes, and retaining your vision of whatever it is. But there, it's it. No one person, not the director, especially not in television. No one person is getting a hundred percent of what they want all the time. And writers have the power of you can write your way into a job. Directors don't have that control. It's Actors true. Don't have that control. Well, and that's what I was going to say, actually. After I got my agent, I kept writing and I wrote a lot. I, I said, oh, I want to try a sexy thriller. I wonder if I could write a sexy thriller. So I decided to write a sexy th So I did that. I wrote, um, I took a feature and I made a television pilot out of it. Like I started doing all these assignments that I gave myself. And I think that what that helped me do was be in meetings knowing that I'm a writer because no one can ordain you as a writer. I, I, I read this story in um, the New York Times about um, authorship. Being a writer is about authorship. It's being an authority, you know, and it doesn't mean that you're an authority for everybody everywhere, but you're saying, I'm saying this. And being able to know what it is that you're saying and say it with authority, you know, as an author, that communicates to people. People know when they're in the presence of that thing, and they'll go, oh, okay, I see. That is a great note to end on. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. My hope is for everybody listening that you can be inspired by Tracy's story and recognize that the barriers we put up in our lives are only in our minds, mm. and that if you want it, you can write it and you can make it happen. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 